Good morning. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn back to Mark chapter 4 where the reading was this morning. And we will begin there in just a moment. While you're doing that, I'll also ask you to turn to Matthew 13 and just pinch the pages between Matthew 13 and Mark 4 because we're going to flip back and forth between those two. Mark 4 and Matthew 13. Thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning, although I'm sorry for the members of the congregation here, you didn't get to have James Newman here with you. I think the world of James and his faith, and uh, he was supposed to be here this morning, uh, but he put his mother into an assisted living uh, facility a week ago, and there's been some challenges, and he didn't know if there would be a, a challenge this morning, so he's looking forward to a rescheduled time. Uh, for me, though, it's, it's great. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I think about you and pray for you more often than I'm sure you know, and I'm very thankful that there's a congregation here in downtown Atlanta that is working to spread the gospel the way that you are. Please keep that up. You're an encouragement to me and and many others, and may God be with you in all that you do. I didn't read or ask to have Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 9 read because we're going to study the parable of the sower this morning. So if you were hoping for that, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I didn't want to set the context for a study of the verses just after the parable of the sower. When Jesus was on earth, he was constantly teaching the people in parables. Parables were earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, as someone has called them. They were illustrations taken from worldly things that were meant to compare with spiritual truths. And it's been estimated that maybe about a third of all the written words of Jesus in the Gospels were in the form of parables. Parables like the prodigal son in Luke 15, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, and the parable of the sower here in Mark 4. There's even very short parables that we wouldn't think I don't think they would be the ones that would pop to our minds when when someone said, hey, give me a parable. There's a statement in Mark 7, verse 15, where Jesus says, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, these are the things which defile him. And two verses later, we're told that's a parable, right? So there's, there's a lot of parables that Jesus taught. And it's easy to see some of the reasons why Jesus might have used parables. I mean, illustrations can often help us to see truths more clearly. And of course, stories can be more easily memorable at times than speeches can be, right? But in Mark 4, after Jesus teaches the parable of the sower to crowds of people, if you look at verse 10, it says that when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And in verse 13, it indicates they didn't understand the parable. Matthew 13 and Luke 8 also record the parable of the sower. And in Luke 8 verse 9, it says his disciples asked, What does this parable mean? They didn't get it. This parable of the casting of the seed and the four soils and the thorny soil and the... What is that about, Jesus? Now, I would imagine most of the people in this room could tell you what the four soils were and what that parable was about. And and we've read Jesus' explanation. We've studied it before it makes sense to us. And we might think, how could they not get it? It just seems so clear, doesn't it? 
And even Jesus suggests in verse 13 here that they should be able to figure it out. But we need to remember this was the first time they had heard it. And when Jesus was speaking in public, he only gave the story, not the explanation. That's why they're asking him for the explanation afterward. Can you imagine if I did that this morning, if I walked up here, I told you the parable of the sower and mic drop or not, I just, you know, went and sat down. You know, how would you have responded to that? Well, I mean, they're wondering, what, what is this? The so-called Son of God has stood before us, told a story, and then left it at that. What would you think if you were them? And more importantly, what would you do if you heard the parable that day and you didn't understand it? What would have been your next step? It seems logical to me that if the disciples of Jesus didn't understand it, there would be a whole lot of people in that crowd that didn't understand it. And that's why when the disciples come to Jesus alone, they not only ask him to explain it, what does this parable mean, but they ask another question too. And I had you put your finger in Matthew 13 and go over and look at verse 10. Matthew 13 verses 1 to 9 is where the record of Jesus telling the parable. And it says, verse 10 that the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables so the question is not just what is this parable about but Jesus why are you teaching in this way I'm thinking that's what's in their minds is why aren't you speaking plainly Jesus why don't you give the explanation if you're going to give this illustration well just tell us what the truth is and then give the illustration you know Why are you teaching in this manner? And I think that question is really interesting too. If Jesus wants them to understand the truth, then why teach it in a way that many do not understand? And that opens up the bigger question in my mind, which is why does God choose to communicate to us in the way that he does? And this morning, what I want to lead us through is a short verse-by-verse textual study of his answer here as to why do you speak in parables? And then I'll make a a, a few concluding observations, and that will be it. So to begin, let's think about this question in Jesus' answers. Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, look at Matthew 13, 11, the first part of your pinch. And it says that Jesus answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. We'll flip over to Mark 4. Mark 4, it says in verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things Come in parables. So Jesus' answer is that the reason he spoke in parables has something to do with making a difference between two classes of people, a division even between two classes of people. Those who will come to know and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, and those who will not. Now, a mystery is a hidden truth that can only be known if it's revealed. Many scriptures tell us we cannot know the mysteries of the gospel unless God reveals it. 1 Corinthians 2 is one place we see that. So mysteries 
have to be revealed. God has to give the explanation of mysteries or the knowledge of mysteries. And what we're learning from Jesus here is that God has chosen to give knowledge to one group of people, but He's also chosen not to give knowledge to the second group. And that's a challenging thought to me. I wonder if it is to you on two fronts. Number one, this. Why would God choose to give knowledge to one group and not to another? Doesn't God want everyone to know? And then secondly, you know, let's think about this. It's all in the context of Jesus teaching parables. It's not like Jesus went around saying, all right, you, 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 you over here, you can just go home. <laughs> and you, 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 okay, so we're going to talk here. He was teaching the same thing to everybody. And yet still he's saying one class is going to come to know and the other class is not. Who is this second group of people, the ones who would come to know the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom? Well, first let me point out that Jesus is not saying only the 12 apostles will have this knowledge. I think it's easy for us to kind of jump to the conclusion. This is the 12 asking him. But Matthew says the disciples came and asked him afterward. And Mark 4, verse 10, if you look at that, says those around him with the twelve came to ask him, what does this mean? So we're talking about a broader class of disciples than just the apostles. And I think as well, Jesus isn't saying that, hey, specific people have been chosen. You're going to be over here and you're going to be over here. That kind of thing. He's saying a class of people, a category, will have the knowledge. And those who are outside, he says in verse 11, Will not. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? What is the defining difference between those two classes? What, what is the distinction between them? We'll go back to Matthew 13. Look at verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What does that mean? I kind of find it kind of interesting. Does that seem a little cryptic? It's like it's interesting Jesus responded with a bit of a cryptic statement. Um, But, you know, do you recognize these words? Are they familiar? You've heard them before if you've read Scripture. It's not the only place that Jesus has used this type of phrase. It, It occurs a few times in Scripture. And I want you to keep your pinch, I guess, and take a third finger. And turn over to Matthew chapter 25, because we're going to see one place. Well, it's actually in between, so you get to do this, right? Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, we find Jesus' parable of the talents. We're not going to read that whole parable. Uh, Most of you probably are familiar with it and remember how it goes. You'll recall that there was a master that was going away, and he left uh, uh, charge of of his money in the place of uh, or with three servants. And so one servant received five talents of money and another received two and another received one. And the first two servants, what did they do with what they had been given? Excuse me. They went with their opportunity and their their responsibility and they produced more, right? They worked and they, they, the first uh, gained another five talents, and the second that had been given two gained two more, worked hard and produced more. What did the third one do? The one with the one talent 
gave just enough effort to bury it in the ground. And then when his master came back, effectively blamed his master for his failure. What happened to him? Well, it says in Matthew chapter 25, in verse 26, that the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have, and I get the idea, at least deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. What was the point of that parable? I think what Jesus is saying is, if you take what God give, thank you so much. If you take what God has given you, and and give energy, give diligence to producing with it, you know, being thankful for your master and a recognition of a stewardship that he has given you, and you produce with it. If you do that, he will give you even greater blessing. But if you take what God has given you and you do nothing with it, give just enough effort to bury it and then blame Him for your failure, well, even what He has already given you will be taken away. And verse 30 says, Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I think we understand what that phrase means in that parable, right? But what does this have to do with Jesus' teaching in parables? Well, if you go over to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, uh, Jesus begins his answer about the parable in verse 10. We already started reading there. And then in verse 13, going down to verse 20, that's where he goes and explains the parable to them. But look at what Jesus says in Mark 4, beginning in verse 21, just after. It says, Also Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus uses the, the illustration of a lamp. And a lamp is lit for what purpose? To remove darkness. That's what it's for. No one lights a lamp and then hides or covers it. That would, what's the purpose in that? The purpose of lighting a lamp is to light the room so that you can see clearly. And Jesus' point is that God intends for the light of His truth to be revealed. He intends for the mystery to be made known. He intends to bring to light the secret things. And then He says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think that's where the challenge is. The challenge is, are you listening? What are you doing with the things that are being spoken to you by God? Well, look at verse 24. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. That's my New King James translation. You may have words like this. Pay attention to what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear, the NIV says. In other words, God has given each of us in this room the responsibility to carefully listen to His teaching, 
to meditate upon it, to think about it, to be challenged by it even. And we need to take that responsibility seriously. These words imply that there's a way to not listen carefully and diligently to his message. He says, With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. You might remember Jesus' words in Luke 6 where he says, Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, what you receive will match what you give. Condemnation, judgment, forgiveness, charity, mercy... What you receive will be in relativity to what you give. Well, what must be given in Mark chapter 4 and verse 24? Take heed what you hear. And he says, to you who hear, more will be given. So that's the challenge I'm picking up here from Jesus. For those who take heed, who pay attention, who consider carefully and diligently seek to hear God speak, what will be given? More understanding. Do we see now that it matters what our choice is, how we respond to him speaking to us? You know, if we take what he has given us and we work with it energetically, diligently, produce, we will, we will gain more if we bury it and blame him for our failure to understand it then it will remain a mystery. And even what blessing we now have from God in our understanding will be taken away. Our own choice determines whether we're not in the first group or the second group. That's what I'm getting out of this. And we might say to ourselves, well, that makes sense. You know, if I diligently read the Word, I'm going to learn more. And if I don't diligently read the Word, I'm, I'm not going to learn. So, you know, that's all about us, right? No. I don't think we need to lose sight of the fact that Jesus is saying what? We will be given greater understanding or understanding will be taken away as we diligently seek. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'm reminded of the words of Proverbs 2, 1-6, to at which point now I want to read this. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1-6. to there the scripture says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, 4 the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so as we come back to the question of why did Jesus speak in parables, He was doing it, wasn't He, to challenge, to test the hearts of us who are hearing His Word. How much do we want to understand the mysteries of the kingdom? If we come back to Matthew 13, we'll look at the last part of Jesus' answer 
If we summarize now, kind of here's the sequence I see. Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Well, to make a division between these two groups. And who decides which group we're in? We do. We do. In the diligence that we give to hearing and wanting to understand uh, the, the mysteries of the kingdom. And so, what do parables have to do with separating the hearers from the non-hearers? Well, come back to chapter 13. Verse 13 says, Jesus said, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with their ears, uh, see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should hear, heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Why do you teach in parables, Jesus? Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Mark 4, verses 11 and 12 are worded a bit differently. Jesus says there, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may not see and not perceive, and hearing they may not hear. In other words, the language is written in such a way that Jesus says, I'm speaking in this way where many don't understand because I'm going to produce in some the response that they're not going to understand, nor are they going to want to understand. Does that make sense? Jesus was choosing to teach in this way to make the classes separate. And that reminds, I mean, this is not the only time he does that kind of thing, which we'll speak to in just a moment. But any time we are presented with a message from God, that is a moment that you and I are challenged to either soften or to harden to God. And the question is, how are we going to respond? In Isaiah chapter 6, which is where this quote is taken from, this is where Isaiah was commissioned by God. You know, the great vision that he had of the awesomeness of God on his throne and his reaction to that, you might recall. God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah spoke up and said, Here am I, send me. Well, what message did he have to send? It says, God said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And Isaiah said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. God, why would you do that? God knew that his message, when it went out into the world, would be received by some. A message that ultimately Isaiah preached, that the, the, the nation's going to be destroyed. Judgment's going to be brought by God. We're going to be brought to our knees. How did many respond to that? Yeah, right. 
We have Jehovah. We have the temple. You know, all of those kinds of... The same message was preached to everybody. But there were two different reactions, weren't there? There was one reaction that said, this is what God has said through His prophet. I can hardly imagine that would ever happen to us, but Lord, if you say it, okay. And the same message would cause others to go, yeah, whatever, shut up. (laughs) God has done this over time. When a person's unwilling to turn, his message hardens their heart. That's why we, we read of Exodus and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And we read about how Pharaoh hardened his own heart and God hardened his heart. Well, what was that through? It was through the message of God. God's words always present an opportunity for us to soften to him or to harden against him. And so what does all this add up to? As I read, I find it really interesting that Jesus says, I taught in parables. I taught in a way where a lot of people went, huh? To make a division between those who were eager to search and know the truth and those who weren't. To the ones who loved the truth and were eager to search for it, they would come to know everything God wanted them to know. God would give it to them. But for those who didn't, the same message would harden their hearts and keep the truths of the kingdom of God from them. So don't be surprised when you or when other people say, I just don't understand what God has said over here. <laughs> I don't, I don't, this is a difficult passage. Don't be surprised when you come across passages of Scripture you don't understand. Do you think that God doesn't know that we all down here go, Revelation's tough? <laughs> you think He doesn't get that we say Romans or, boy, those Old Testament prophets. I just don't understand. Do you think He... He knows. Do you think He wants us to understand it? Sure. There's a lesson to be taken away here about diligent Bible study. When you hit a difficult passage, what do you do with it? Do you kind of, oh, well, this is, this is tough. We're just going to go on from here. Or do you really want to know what it's about? Do you seek the answer? Do you meditate on it? Do you go find others that have studied it? Do you pray about it? How diligently do we study our Bibles? There's a lesson to be taken away from all of this about diligence in all areas of our stewardship. Right? To him who has, more will be given, but to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You know, in that context of Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents, uh, you know, what comes right after that? The separating of the sheep from the goats, the left and the right. And Jesus basically said, you know, those of you who have gone out and served and Basically taking your stewardship and, and help the poor and help, those, help the downtrodden. and serve. You are the ones who have taken what God has given you and you have produced with it and you will receive the inheritance. To those of you who have taken the stewardship and spend it on yourselves, even what you have will be taken away. It's a lesson to learn about general diligence in all areas of our stewardship. But finally, there's also a lesson to be taken about how God does things. That's really interesting to me here. How God would choose to work in this way. Now, 
We begin with a question, if Jesus wants them to understand the truth, then why teach it in a way that many do not understand it? Why does God communicate with us in the way that he does? God often does things in a way we don't expect, but there's always a purpose. About the time I originally developed this lesson five years ago or so, I was in some personal Bible studies where it seemed like the same question kept coming up. You know, why doesn't Jesus do this? Why doesn't God do that? Why, do, if, why doesn't God do miracles today in the way that he did that we read in the New Testament? Why doesn't he just work a miracle now so I can believe? Is that all the evidence there is that you're giving me is the scripture? Why make it so hard? It's not enough. Well, think about what we're learning about how God works through this scripture about Jesus and the parables today. And with that in mind, I I want you to go over to Mark 5. And Mark 5 is where we're going to end things. This, to me, is is a passage that has spoken very strongly. The events of what happened to Jairus and his daughter and those surrounding it. Mark chapter 5, there is a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus who... Um, was so distraught over the near death of his daughter and the sickness there that he didn't care what any of the other Jewish leaders thought. He came down and laid at Jesus' feet saying, Lord, can you help me? And Jesus said, yeah, I will. And they began going to his home where his daughter is almost at death. And, uh, and it says that Jesus went on the way. As they're on the way, that's where the woman with the flow of blood sort of interrupted things. And I, sometimes it's easy to forget that, you know, we talk about Jesus healing of her and forget they were on the way to Jairus' house. And I kind of wonder about Jairus. is like, my daughter's almost dead. You know, I'm happy about this. But, but what Jairus was able to see in that moment was confirming evidence that Jesus could help. It's right at that moment where people from Jairus' house, the servants come and say, your daughter's died. And it's at that moment I could imagine Jairus, like, I know what I just saw. I'm also being told my I mean, there's grief, there's hope, there's all kinds of things banging around in his head, I'm sure. Jesus, it says, speaks to him and says, let me turn there and get the words right. Am I in the right place? Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was looking at the wrong point of the chapter. It says in verse 36, do not be afraid, only believe. And it says Jesus permitted no one, and I'm going to read to the end now, permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When Jesus came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Why? Because they all knew she was dead. It says, But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. So Jairus has seen the power of God. I mean, this is awesome, you know, to to have his, his daughter raised from the dead. It's the last verse that is the really striking one to me here. 
It says, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Did you catch that there were only a few that Jesus allowed into the room? And then he raises the daughter from the dead and then he he says to them, don't tell anybody what happened. (laughs) And I think to myself, well, I mean, the daughter's going to come out of the room. (laughs) She's going to walk out on her two feet. It's not going to be hidden that something has happened here. Why did Jesus tell them this? The only answer I can come up with, and if you can come up with another to help my understanding, I would strongly invite you to do that. I would love to love to hear it. But all I can figure is that Jesus is presenting an opportunity to test hearts. This daughter is going to come out, and I think there's effectively going to be two classes of people. Everybody is going to know, you know, that when Jesus went in, there's girls on the bed, right? But when she came out, some people were going to go, she was dead and now she lives. And Jesus is the difference. I've got to follow that guy and learn more. And other people are going to see the exact same evidence. The exact same facts. And they're going to go, nah. Well, nah. Can't be. And that's just like what we've been talking about today in the parables. It's the same message, the same evidence. But that message, that evidence is going to test your heart and mine to say, what are we going to do with what God has given us? Are we going to complain he's not given us enough? Are we going to bury what he's given us and blame him? Are we going to take what he's given us and say, Lord, just open my heart to what this message is and help me understand it? That is the crucial difference that we're talking about this morning. You may recognize in your own life that you've heard messages from God that you've been challenged by. You don't understand how it could be a message from God, but there it is in in the words of Scripture. (laughs) Recognize that that is a challenge to your heart that God hopes you will be softened by. If there's a way that you know that you need to humble and soften and come to your knees before God, whether you've become a Christian or even if you've not, you come to recognize, I mean, back in the, that time that I was looking at all of this, I was trying to put in front of people, think about the evidence that God has given you rather than complain about the evidence that, that you want out of Him. And for some of those folks, they started to realize, all right, there's something here. That's God. That's God working your heart. How are you going to respond to it? There's some way the congregation here can help you in turning to God. Let us know as we stand and sing. There is beyond the edge of